Welcome back to Money Matters, the podcast series from financial planning experts ProVest that's offering insights from experts and helping you better understand your personal finances. Joining me on this second episode, we've got Una Jennings from ProVest. Hi, Una. Hi, Jonathan Hurtings. I'm very good. Lovely to talk to you. And Anne-Marie Lennon, who is partner at JW O'Donovan Solicitors. Hello, Anne-Marie. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Una. Hi, Henry. Lovely to speak to you both. Now, last week I was getting a bit of a crash course on my personal finances and the importance of having those conversations. And I kind of just got my head around to it. Now we're moving on to something equally complicated, which is a will and even things like power of attorney. So please, for the love of God, Anne-Marie, be gentle with me because I was scared by last week's conversation. I don't want to be scared by this week's conversation. What do I need to do about a will? Well, Jonathan, I suppose, look, making a will ensures that when you die, your property and other possessions pass to the people you choose and importantly, in the most tax efficient way, you know, if you take the, the right advice. So it's your final chance to make sure your loved ones um, are appropriately provided for. So that's that's a good enough reason, I think, to do it. And um, also, of course, uh, will is vital if you have children or dependents who may not be able to care for themselves, uh, particularly in the event of something happening, both parents. So the will allows you appoint suitable guardians for anyone under 18 um, to care for the children um, and suitable trustees to manage property or assets uh, or money until whatever age you feel your children would be mature enough to, to deal with it um, if the, the unthinkable happens, I, I, I suppose. Um, so if, if you, the flip side of it then is if you die without making the will, Jonathan, your estate will be distributed, but it'd be distributed between your surviving family members in the way that is set out in law. And often that wouldn't be what you would choose and um, it's likely it won't be, it certainly won't be as tax efficient as you could make it. Um, now, so I think they're, they're the reasons, good, good enough reasons for starters. Absolutely. And I can't argue with a single point that you made there. There is a generational problem. And we had this last week when we were talking about financial planning. There are times when this is important to you, when perhaps you're lucky enough to get your first home, you're encouraged to do a will, then maybe you might have a child or two uh, and then you kind of rewrite the will. But then people tend to forget about it. They're, they're getting on with their lives. Lives. And it's only when the clock starts ticking a little louder in the background that they might revisit it. So there's a big bit in the middle where people probably don't care enough about their will. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct, Jonathan. And I suppose it's something really that we would always advise our clients should be reviewed. You rightly point out there, uh, people's circumstances change all the time. Um, you you start off and you may have no children, then you have children. And as children get older, uh, who would be right to be appointed guardians or to be trustees will change. I mean, who, who would be a, a suitable guardian for a baby would be very different to a 15-year-old, let's face it. Um, and then, uh, you know, we have separations and divorces much more common nowadays than, than ever. You have second families that need to, need to be provided for. But even back to basics, the very value of your assets are continually changing. You know, if you take, go back to 2006, the values, 
2011, 2018, you know, the values of your assets will change, your pension values will change, um, and also tax reliefs are continually changing. We had a, a lot of hype around the time of the budget, would capital taxes change? They didn't, but they, it's been flagged. It's, it's coming down the tracks very quickly, and I think certainly the next budget will. So, so there are reasons to keep it under review. Yeah. And we all spend so much time, I suppose, you know, um, investing for the future and trying to provide for our children. It's a very simple way of, of, of doing that. So it should, a bit like us all watching our utilities and our mortgages now, you know, very regularly, it's we should be we should be prioritizing the will the same way yep too regularly uh, as in, in the case of all of those things that you just mentioned there but how often should i be coming in to visit someone like you i mean a solicitor's delighted if they come back to you every six months but that might be overkill oh. how regularly should you review it well i think every couple of years really is is the answer to it unless your particular circumstances um change hugely as i say for example if a spouse died or you're separating or divorced, uh, or, or as I say, your, your family situation, for example, your children uh, are getting married maybe, or you have grandchildren on the way. There, there are ways of making the will more tax efficient maybe. So they're the kind of life circumstances, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, but as well as that with, as I say, tax reliefs changing and values of assets changing. For example, coming into retirement is a time you should certainly be looking at it, you know. Yeah, I mean, th- there is a Venn diagram here, if we can go back to what we remember in maths, Una, whereby what Anne-Marie is talking about coincides with what you guys are talking about in family planning. There's a little bit in the middle uh, that, that is important when it comes to wills and planning for your future. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, making will is one of the most important things like when you're looking at your overall financial planning um looking to streamline your financial planning for the future um it helps you distribute your assets as per your wishes before your demise amongst your family members and your loved ones um and again like as and we alluded to making will is arguably the most essential stage in your entire journey um towards suitable financial planning for your family members um, and drafting a will becomes all the more essential when you consider things like fin- future financial security of your loved ones who should be able to gain access to their inheritance and um, also ensures future family bonding and your own peace of mind about completion of your wealth planning. Um, it ensures that where there is a will in place, one can choose the beneficiaries of a particular asset, although it is often assumed to pass to a spouse. It may be your intention to to decide that it should pass to a child, a parent, a sibling, a, f- a family friend. And um, it also allows, allows, as Anne-Marie again said, um, the provision for a child with a particular need or disability, whereby an asset can be held in trust to provide for various protection and, and for the assets to be used to look after and care for that that child um, and, their, and their appropriate needs for the child, you know, to be looked after. Yeah. when 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 you're when you pass on you know yeah so there's there's a lot of it when it comes to financial planning and that you you need to think about these things in advance and if i can come back to you talk about the estate people always hear that word thrown around as if we're lord grantham in, in downton abbey we're, we're not that well off but people everybody has a bit of an estate if they hold any assets what should you remember when you're making the will and planning for our estate could you address leaving your estate to someone you're not related to does that differ to how it would be if you were giving it to a relative 
Well, Jonathan, you, you hit the nail on the head there. We are actually, nowadays, I think we're all worth more dead than alive. And that's a tragic reality that I've accepted some time ago, but yes. We do have, you know, the, the houses with the mortgages, but we have life assurance regularly. Um, some people are lucky enough to be in jobs where they have death and service benefits. Um, everybody nowadays really has some form of a private pension if they're in the in the private sector and also the public sector. And, um, you know, so from that point of view, uh, the, what the estate is really is we would always recommend that people make a list of assets when they're making their wills. Um, and primarily because there are a lot of assets unclaimed in this country historically there are bank accounts which haven't been claimed because executors didn't know about them there are uh, policies I'm sure Una will know about that were never claimed because people didn't know about executors didn't know about them so while you might know a lot about your spouse and God forbid anything that were to happen both or the survivor then your children may not know where to start. So we do recommend anyone making a will makes a list of assets. I mean, to, be, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm getting scared again now, as I did in the first <laughs> podcast, because I'm trying to think of all the things that I have. And I'm sitting there going, where in the name of God would I, a current living person, find detail about that pension I had for three years with that company that doesn't exist anymore? All of these questions need to, to be addressed and probably addressed relatively quickly by me. But Jonathan, I suppose if you do the exercise once, it's worth the effort because then you can change it each time you do go, if it's two or three or five years to the solicitor, you can review that list. Um, and, and it doesn't need to be very long. I mean, the basic things are, I suppose, your property is critical. Um, it, whether you have a mortgage, where are the title deeds? They'd be important things to note. Um, and for most people, that's one one property, maybe a holiday home, maybe two. Um, then you have your bank accounts and you should write down where they are, whether they're, you know, AIB, Bank of Ireland, wherever, PTSB, and where the branch is maybe, and also whether they're sole accounts or joint accounts, not what's in them, because that's going to change regularly, um, but just, just to point someone in the right direction. Then you have um, insurance policies, maybe you might have pension policies, but a lot of people I suppose, deal with the likes of Provest. We have our own affairs with Provest. So, you know, you it, once there's a note as to, you know, where to go in the event, then um, I, I, I think that that would, would be very useful and helpful. And um, pensions nowadays, um, as say investments, uh, credit union, a lot of people have credit union accounts nowadays. So so that's your list of assets. That's a very good starting point. And as I say, once you do it properly once, you can update it and just give it to your solicitor, email it in and leave it be kept with the will. There's also a thing that people again are, are when we talk to them about it, something called a letter of wishes. This is outside of the will. The will is the formal document. But the letter of wishes is kind of a side letter, if you like. Again, no formalities needed, but it gives guidance to executors as regards um, assets, maybe matters of sentimental value in the house, your jewellery, or um, you might have some paintings, or, or things that are of sentimental rather than value value. Oh, there's a load of terrible things that my children won't want that I look forward <laughs> to putting down on that list. Uh, this is Money Matters, which is a podcast series from financial planning experts, Provest. Um, if I can turn back to you, Una, if someone doesn't have a will prepared, does that cause difficulties then when something does happen, the inevitable for all of us happens. Yeah, well, Jonathan, um, in practice, the main areas we would see would be like inadequate provision would be made 
from the estate for the intended beneficiaries and like where there's no will where there's no will there's certain tax rules with the inheritance of assets and there's an exemption for inheriting spouses and certain tax thresholds available to individuals depending on relationships to the deceased and by making a will you can arrange to distribute the assets to maximize the those exemptions or reliefs um and again Anne-Marie in practice do you think there's anything further that should be added like who the beneficiaries are and it goes back to Jonathan's question as well as regards the difference between uh, leaving your estate to relatives and non-relatives the spouses as you say are are, are tax-free at the moment unless that changes children uh, are tax-free up to 335,000 euro currently and um, sisters brothers nieces nephews aunts uncles 32 and a half thousand and then more remote or, or non-blood relatives 16,250 their lifetime thresholds. So again, you can be tax efficient as to how you deal with that in your tax planning. There's other reliefs like agricultural relief, business asset relief, dwelling house relief. So you can pick your beneficiaries and make things tax efficient. Charities, of course, are exempt um, from tax. So it's always a good idea to um, to consider them when when making your will, you know. Okay, so it's a, it's a, it's a quite an extensive list. Um, Amory, this next question I'm going to say is beneath me as somebody who actually graduated uh, from law uh, and, and studied it for three years. What is an enduring power of attorney again? Remind me of why it's important and how the rules around that are changing. Right. Um, well, Jonathan, a, a will, as you know, only speaks from death. So you have to be dead before the will kicks in. But what's more important, I suppose, and with people living longer nowadays, um, is to protect yourself, yourself and your assets in the event that you ever become mentally incapable of managing your affairs while you're alive. So um, in 1996, there was an Enduring Powers of Attorney Act passed, which allowed people to sign a document saying, if I ever become mentally incapable of managing my affairs, and affairs in that context means property, financial affairs, and personal care decisions, which would be where you should live, whether you should live in a nursing home or at home, um, those kind of decisions, not treatment decisions, and that's an important distinction. Um, But it allowed you to sign a form saying, uh, in that event, I appoint one or two people, my attorneys, to step into my shoes and make those decisions for me. If you ever became mentally incapable of managing the affairs thereafter, the attorneys could register that document. They could sell your house. They could use your bank accounts for your benefit, etc., etc. So um, it was a very, it's, it's been quite a straightforward process. There's, there's work in it. There's a lot of people involved, but it's been quite a straightforward process up to now. Um, but in 2015, the government passed legislation, which actually was as a result of an EU directive on human rights law um, called the Assisted Decision-Making Capacity Act. Um, and, and that was to promote rights and interests of people who support with decision making. It was 2015. It's due to go live. We've had a few false starts, but they're kind of certain that's going to happen now. And um, so it's introducing new legislation which will help people in decision making. But the enduring power of attorney 
landscape is going to change hugely because it's part of that new regime, which will be managed by um, kind of the new department really set up in the High Court. So it's decision support service. Um, and as I say, they will deal with different levels of assistance for people um, whose mental capacity will be impaired. Um, so you won't be going from zero to full attorneys. You'll have opportunities maybe to just have a decision-making assistant or the next level is a co-decision-making person and then there's the enduring power of attorney or the court itself can actually appoint a decision-making a decision-making representative and um, so it's going to be more complicated it's going to be more expensive because there's going to be a lot more involved in the process the attorneys under the enduring power of attorney made after that date will have a lot more onerous duties they'll have like financial reporting obligations um, and things like that so it's not everyone that will mm. put their hand up and say yeah i'll do that job um, so the horizon is is changing hugely one other very important factor which which is a good thing of, of the new act is called an advanced health care directive so up to this point even if you had an enduring power of attorney um, you if you didn't have the mental capacity you weren't in a position and nobody was in a position for you to make decisions about um, refusal of treatment or requests for health treatment um, this act will allow that now to happen okay. so that is an important factor and again all of this is is, is built to protect the people uh, who will be subject to these but it just means that getting advice is more important than ever it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you both thank you so much Anne-Marie Lennon partner with J.W. O'Donovan solicitors and Una Jennings from Provest thanks so much for joining us guys thanks very much thanks again that is it from this episode of Money Matters with thanks to Provest your financial planning experts we'll talk to you again very soon